Well, hey, I um, am really, really excited to be with you guys today. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, part-time ministry. How many of you pastors in the room? Youth leaders, worship pastors, worship leaders, children's workers, ministry leaders, teachers, janitors, things. <laughs> Everything. You know, when I was in ministry school, everyone was like, I just can't wait to like, get the title of pastor. And nobody told them that... Part-time ministry is where the titles are at. Man, I've got titles coming out of my ears all the time, <laughs> all day long. I take care of my baby at home, my one-year-old Josie, my wife Ashley back there, my husband, I'm a father. I also take care of all my children at Starbucks, people who work with me in my store. And um, I'm a full-time college student. I lead the youth ministries for um, two of our campuses at Bethel Cleveland Church in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm also the worship pastor for the Friends of Campus. And I'm also an itinerary minister. I travel three times out of the month with um, a couple other friends um, who do like just conferences and events to build people up. So basically, I have something going on every second of every day. How many can relate to that going on? Hallelujah. Um, first, I would like to um, just kind of open up in prayer, and then just kind of just dive deep with you guys. Is that cool? Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, and we thank you that we get to be a part of the best business in the world. God, we get to spread your message. You've given each person sitting in this room today everything that they need to fulfill their calling. And God, I pray that if there's anything that would come out of this session today, that each one of them would be encouraged, uplifted, and reminded that the role that they play in the lives of their students and their church is valuable, needed. And God, I just pray that you would fill up this room. Let's just sense that the presence of God is here and that you would just inhabit all of our conversation. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I just want to give you guys a little background on me and from where I come from. I come from Youngstown, Ohio. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know the Lunds, Dan and Crystal Lund, anybody? They were my youth pastors and senior associate leaders when I was growing up. Um, so that's who I grew up under, was Lunds, and what an amazing couple they are. Um, I ended up going to Victory School of Ministry after I graduated. I really wanted to go to Evangel, but... It was expensive. <laughs> so they started a uh, master's commission at Victory uh, Christian Center, which is where I met your youth, your district youth director, Nate Ortiz. He was the youth pastor who had just come on staff at Victory Christian Center. So I spent six years there, two years as a student, and then another year as an intern serving within the church, and um, another two years um, serving with Nate in uh, youth young adult ministry, leading worship for him, and everything else in church, but in sixth graders and stuff like that. And so, I have been involved in ministry for a very long time, and I love it. And I hate it. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Can we be real? Is that okay? This is a real love-hate relationship. Let's just be honest, right? I mean, there are days where, like, I'll walk out of youth group after I see, like, a couple weeks ago, we had... Um, about six new kids, and like the majority of them all give their hearts to Jesus for the first time. So you walk out of the youth group, and you're just walking around here, and you're just like, I love ministry, it's what I was called, yes, Lord, yes! And then I wake up the next morning, and I've got my three homeless friends who are trying to shoplift in my store while I'm trying to clean the bathroom. And I'm like, hey, hey, hey. You know, it's, it's just like, my life is filled with Drastic ups and changes. Yeah. But today, um, the title of this is Strategies for Bivocational Ministry. And my hope for you today is to just provide encouragement, some strategies about making your ministry work for you instead of you feeling like it's running you dry. Yeah? When you serve in part-time ministry, the need is so great. There are so many lives that you feel responsible for because God has planned you in a position of influence. But you also have the other side of it that you've got to be able to work to provide for your family and for your life. And so there's this divine tension that pulls on you because 
even though you may be in part-time vocational ministry, our goals don't change. Just because I am, let's just be real, 10 hours a week on paper at my church for youth, another 10 hours for worship, just because I have 10 hours to accomplish successful youth ministry does not mean that my goals of reaching kids goes from 60 to 30 or from 20 to 5. I can't write off the call on my life based on how much time I'm paid to do it because it's not something that I'm paid to do. It's something, it's who I am. It's what I've always been called to do. And I'd be serving whether I got paid or not, and I have done that in the past. So, what changes then? So, Because it's not our call, it's not our goal, or our mission that changes. It's going to be the strategies. Best piece of advice I ever got was when I was working at Starbucks. And Starbucks is a very interesting company because, well, for obvious reasons. But for other reasons, um, it is really fast-paced. They expect a lot out of their employees, right? And so every morning is like a wild crazy train ride, because you've got to like balance and juggle all these people. And one time I was really stressed out after my shift, because I had just taken over as a supervisor, and my manager said, hey, anytime you feel like the store is running you, instead of you running the store, it's not the time to get stressed out. It's not the time to panic. It's time to take a step back and reassess the situation until you're running the store. And so, in ministry, I think it's very, very similar to that. Anytime you feel like you can't do enough or you, you feel like you're closed off, it's the time you need to take a step back, get yourself in the quiet place, and reassess why you're doing this, and allow God to speak to you about what the next step you should take is. I promise to read some of my notes. So this is, you know what, when Nate called me, the very cool thing about this was he called me intentionally because he wanted somebody who's actually in part-time ministry. He didn't want somebody who is coming in to tell you, like, I remember what it was like in part-time ministry. <laughs> Working until 11.30 at night with your youth and cleaning the garbage off the bottoms of the chairs that the children left. <laughs> and then going to work at 4 in the morning. I remember. I'm, at, I'm the same. I'm in the exact same position as you guys are. I'm in the middle of it myself. Um, I have so many jobs, like I told you. At Starbucks, I'm a youth pastor, worship pastor, college student, I travel all the time. So I love what I do, and I'm passionate about the work of the ministry. And because of my ministry school experience, I'm really well connected with a lot of people who are in ministry today. And one of the trends that I, I don't like, it sometimes comes out of my mouth when I'm stressed out, is that it, I hate it when people say that ministry is so hard. That there's nothing in your life that you're ever going to do that's harder than ministry. And it's, it's, it's always going to be so challenging for you. And, and gosh, it, you've got to be called. Because if you're not, you won't make it. I hate that mentality because um, we're in the best business in the world. And no matter what struggles or difficulties you're going through right now with juggling or, or struggling with your schedule, we're in the best business in the entire world. We get to um, lead people to Jesus all the time. I love it. I'm passionate about my job. I love it. That as, as pastors and ministers of the word, with teenagers and adults, that we have literally reached into all the generations. It's amazing. So, I just want to be transparent with you guys. I want to um, tackle some really tough questions and share with you, I think, some of the most significant revelation that I have ever received in ministry that has changed the way that I lead the ministry and um, brought me in a much healthier season. Life. How many like to be healthier? Yes? We'd love to be healthier. That's why I don't drink six shots a day at Starbucks anymore. Three cups of coffee. And gosh, when you have that flowing, it's like the Lord provides it. Oh, the Lord is like speaking to me in the coffee shop, you know? But this is for you, Jay. <laughs> Open up that fountain that I talked about. <laughs> um, but, um, I'm going to go into like some of the more difficult stuff. I, I Literally, none of y'all know me, so I'm just going to like tell you everything just straight up the way exactly how I feel and how the Lord's helping me process through that, okay? I'm not coming at you from a position of trying to <coughs> sound a certain way. Okay, but um, obviously I'm going to reference 2 Corinthians 10.9. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not work according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, Casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
So the first thing I want to talk to you about is I want to talk about some destructive trains of thought about ministry and part-time. The five most destructive trains of thought that can derail your ministry. Because you know trains take you places. So trains of thought will take you in places that you don't want to go. Any time you've ever been seriously discouraged in ministry or been in a position where you're applying for other jobs or looking, greenglassdoor.com, hey. <laughs> Anytime you're doing that, it's because a, a thought, a train of thought, took you in that direction. So the first one I want to talk about is um, my personal favorite is the goal for full-time ministry as being a validation for your work. If you want to write that in the just say full-time ministry is validation. Been in the position where I felt like if I was doing an excellent enough job, if I was bringing in enough um, kids, if I was leading worship in a way that connected with the congregation enough, that that would be, that them bringing me on to a full-time position would mean that I was valued as a staff person. That it would mean that all the work that I've been doing is, is worthy of that kind of recognition of being promoted in full-time ministry. And we make this full-time ministry thing up high in the sky where we want to, like, be in full-time ministry because we think that's what actually makes us legitimate ministers of the gospel. When the truth is, when, when that's said out loud, it couldn't be further from the truth, but when it's kept inside your heart and your mind, it can start to feel like the truth. Right? Am I alone? If I am, it's okay. And then the second train of thought that can take you to a destructive place is, there's just not enough time. <laughs> There's just not enough time. Let me tell you something about my senior leader goal for me in youth ministry. He is also, oh, by the way, he's my father-in-law. I mentioned that part. <laughs> Did I also mention that he's my landlord? <laughs> my mentor? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, his goal for me, he said, hey, I really think it's possible for you to run the youth ministry to 75 kids. And this is with all volunteers, 10 hours a week on paper, no youth room, and this much of a budget. Now, God can do more than that, right? Obviously. God's not limited by like, our limitations. I totally get where he's coming from. I'm not coming from a place of dishonor. But I, I love, one of the things I love about Pastor Steve is his vision forward. He, we planted three churches in the past like five years that really taken off. It's an amazing vision that I'm a part of, but it's just when you're feeling stretched thin as it is to hear those numbers and that goal, when you feel like you barely have enough time to manage what you've got right now, it's difficult. That's what he would like to see, though. So there's just not enough time. And I, I can honestly say that on and off for years, that's kind of like where I've been at. I've been saying, there's just not enough time. I can't meet with each kid individually. I can't, I can't use all my vacation time anymore to take them on youth trips like I've done for the past four years because I'm married now, because I have a one-year-old daughter now. I would like to use my vacation time to spend time with my family instead of always using it to, to travel. I love my kids. I love them with all my heart. And we've done New Year's trips every year. We've done um, multiple like out-of-state trips all the time. But I just, my life has changed. And I can't do that anymore. There's just not enough time. So it creates this like, like desperation urge to need full-time ministry to be able to have a healthy life, like work-life balance, right? If I wasn't working 40 hours at Starbucks, and if I wasn't working, let's just be real, 20, 30 hours at the church, maybe I'd have more time. So you either get frustrated and that propels you to start looking for positions elsewhere, has a higher paycheck, but then the conviction gets your heart, because I think you're sitting in this room today, which means that you were called to be in ministry, because nobody would do this to themselves if they weren't called to work as hard as you all are working, to, to juggle as much as you're all juggling, right? You're called. You're sitting here because you're called. So there's just not enough time is the biggest one for me, because I feel that all the time. There's not enough time. Like On my lunch breaks at Starbucks, I'm like, Posting on Instagram, liking my kids' photos, texting my leaders at five in the morning. <laughs> There's no customers right now. 
uh, there's just not enough time to accomplish everything. And here's here's the biggest thing for me, working with Pastor Nate Ortiz at Victory. I don't know if he's told you any of his past history there, but he was a part of leading a youth movement that saw about two, four hundred students every week. It was amazing. I've seen incredible things happen in the presence of God. People, inner city youth coming to Jesus who have never been blessed them and they just give their hearts to Jesus that night. It was amazing. But as a student like volunteer leader there in the ministry school, I was volunteering probably 25 hours of my time just to the peripheral stuff, like running the sound room and the media room and maybe a drama team on the side and occasionally leading worship. So I know what it looks like to have those big numbers and the amount of work that's required, so my brain can't compute only having 10. Just not enough time. That either makes you look elsewhere or want to quit. Number three. The big one. I deserve full-time ministry. That's my hardest one. I deserve it. When I moved up to Cleveland, I lived in a brick house that had, like, it was a parsonage, but it had really bad insulation. It was cold all the time. And to save money, I put it at 58 degrees and worked hard for the bed. I was too proud of that. Like, oh, my my father-in-law fixed it, just so you know. It's not like he's like making you live in an igloo for you know for fun to build character. <laughs> but um, then they needed that house for children's ministry, and so I thought I'm gonna have to move back to Youngstown and just commute two hours every time I'm serving out there. But I was starting to date my wife back there, and I didn't want to leave, and, um, and I really felt called there, so. I got a 300 square foot apartment in Cleveland. I mean, you know how big that is. <laughs> it's like a shoebox. It's like a hotel room. And, um, and it was right across the street from the most popular bars in Cleveland. Most people who are in college are like, woo! They're excited about that. But for me, it just sounded like chaos outside my window every Friday. It was raining and crazy. And there were times I'm just going to be transparent with you. I had $2 in my bank account. I lived off the food at Starbucks. The expired. That's what I did. I made sacrifices to be here. I made sacrifices to do this because I'm, I'm called, and I'm not giving up on the call just because I don't have enough money. So after you do that, for me going on six years now, you start to say, I deserve this. Because you start to see other people in your church who are brought on staff and brought on full-time within six months who are like, it makes me feel old. I'm turning 29, but like, they're 21, and they're being brought on full-time staff with like full-time salary, and it starts to make you think, am I just not doing a good enough job, or am I just, um, is there something about me that isn't promotable, right? So, I deserve this. And you come up with a long, long list of everything that you've ever done, everything you've ever sown, that says, I deserve this full-time ministry position. And in the process, you also loathe the part-time part of it. You love your job, but you're also not liking your trajectory where you're at right now. It's a really complicated place. You're in love with your kids, but you're unhappy with your position in life. Right? So, the biggest thing about I deserve full-time ministry, I'm just going to like, I want to hit on this one a little bit heavier than the other points before we get to the strategies for building. Um, the way that the Lord kind of undid that was I was in the moment, how many of you have ever had an encounter with the Lord in the moment where tears are flowing and you're just sitting there and you're just pouring your heart out to God? I'm just saying, Lord, this is not where I expected to be at almost, like, in my mid-20s or my 30s or whatever, where I am still doing this. I thought that this was heading somewhere. I thought that when you called me into this, that it was taking me someplace, and that you had a plan, that you had a mission, and I know that he does. It's easy to say that when you're out of it, but when you're up to your eyeballs in it, that's when, like, your heart, you did it all the time. I'm not going to But, um... I deserve full-time ministry. I remember in the middle of all that saying, I did this for you, I did this for you, I did this for you. And the Lord kind of just felt like he tapped me on the shoulder and I just felt in my heart. He said, like, but I never asked you for all of that. You gave it willingly because your heart wanted to do it. Remember that. We prayed. Do you remember? Oh my gosh. Do you remember when you prayed and said, Lord, just use me. And then after six years, you're saying, Lord, I just feel so loose. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, 
rewind to your prayer six years ago. Just use me. That's what I'm doing. Um, and I thought about that. You know, I thought about all the sacrifices, and I realized what the Lord was trying to teach me is that when I sit there and I say that I deserve ministry because of my sacrifice, it takes every ounce of the love that I had for him out of that memory. That when I was making those sacrifices, instead of making it like, oh, poor Jay, he lived off the paninis, he's Starbucks. I mean, it takes that moment from me saying, like, I just made so many sacrifices because I deserve this. It's like a grasping as opposed to a, you can have it all, Lord. To be able to stand in front of the room one day and say, Lord, there's not one part of me that you can't have. The big reason, I'm sure a lot of us experience this, I have a family now. Or I am in the family. <laughs> the pressure of being able to provide for the people that you love. That's a big one. And then, number five, which I think is the biggest temptation for everybody because it's the easiest one to grab a hold of people and it's food, even though it's not. I'm in part-time ministry because leadership doesn't value me or my ministry. These are all destructive trains of thought that if you will be brave enough to say them out loud, the truth of God's word, the truth of who he is, will contradict every single one of those. But you're the master of your narrative between your ears. You're in charge of what goes in and out of your mind. That's why it says like, you have to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. I mean, think about that. It said um, taking every thought captive. Every single one. Casting out arguments. How many arguments <coughs> in our brains? I think some of us argue in our brains. Every high thing, including ministry, that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. All good stuff. That's kind of like where I've been. I'd say for the good first few years of my ministry. Trying to, how many of you know that most of the problems that we have come from unresolved issues in our security and our identity? Yeah. We, we are, we're in ministry, but ministry is like a pressure cooker. It's like when the heat is on, and it brings all those impurities right to the surface, and it just puts it in your face, and, the Lord, and that Lord's not trying to like shove it in your face and take it all. He's just saying, like, deal with this so that I can take you further. So this is kind of the journey that I was on. Each one of those destructive thoughts, I have to be honest with you, have at times dominated my thought process, and I have spent, like, that <coughs> clenched chest tight throat feeling, jealousy, envy when other people get promoted, it's hard. But it's only hard when your ego's attached to it. We're in service. And the moment it becomes attached to your identity or your ego is when it becomes about you, which it's not, it never will be. I promise you less harsh than that. But, this is kind of the thing, and I've seen, and honestly, at our church, we've had a, a bit of a revolving door at, for the past, like, two, three years, where there's just been different people leaving and different people going places. I, myself, I am the longest-running worship leader at Bethel Cleveland Day. <laughs> going on four years, I've seen six, six worship pastors come and go within those four years. It's challenging, you know what I mean? So there's, like, there's always, like, a lot of change happening. And the one thing that I have learned from all of this and the position that I'm in now, which... There is light at the end of the tunnel. No good spot. <laughs> um, it, it, it's all the result because to bear fruit, you have to stay where you are planted. The answer is not on the other side of the road in a different church. It's going to pay you more. The answer is not somewhere out in the far future where you're going to love that group of people way more than the one you have now. We were never called to love the people that we haven't met yet who are in the future. We're called to love the people who are right in front of us that the Lord has charged us with. If you want to know how much God trusts you, what has he entrusted to you? I'm going to say that again. If you want to know how much God trusts you, what has he entrusted to you? And I'm not talking about future calls, destinies, or things that you want to hope to accomplish in the future. And right here, right now, you're waking up next week. You're responsible for what has he entrusted you with. Bear free, you have to stay put. And 
chasing the money for any reason. There's a term that, that for the Bible. It's called a hireling. None of us are gross. We pastor's hearts, right? So we say because we're not part-time called. So again, part-time ministry shouldn't alter our goals. It does just our strategies. So this is kind of the spot I came to. I don't know if anybody can relate to this just yet, but I'm, I came to the place where there have been a couple other opportunities that I could have like jumped on. I even went, trust me, I even applied for a ALS position in a legal firm downtown and went in for the interview because it paid a lot of money and I thought looking at account numbers would be more productive for my family than that, you know? Um, thankfully, it didn't work out. But... The place that I came to is, so I can't leave. Because the Lord has not released me to leave my current position. I'm not leaving. There's still more work for me to be done. So I, I've got some choices in front of me. And the first most important thing is I need to be healthy and happy as a father and as a husband. I'm in charge of the, <coughs> the emotional climate and temperament of my home. I'm in charge for shaping a young life and how they're going to view God, how they're going to view ministry. I'm in charge of creating an atmosphere of health for the people that the Lord has been charging in my first ministry, which is my family, which is always going to be way more important than anything that I do outside. Right? So I need to be the happiest and the healthiest out of everyone in my family. I expect them to rise to that occasion, too. So I thought getting a full-time job and making more money would be great for, like, about, we'll say a minute, but probably less. But came to the conclusion that I need to chase my calling and I can't quit because my wife and daughter have to see that it is possible to be called of God and to continue on with that, to be able to reach your goals. I have to demonstrate with my life that it is possible to hear from God and to follow through with that vision. And you can look through the Word over and over and over again, all the stories you think about. Me and, well, me and my one-year-old, she doesn't really watch, but I've been watching Anna Barbera Adventures in the Bible stories. Anybody remember those? It's on YouTube. YouTube. And I watched Noah a couple weeks ago. Does anybody remember that? It was the best one. Anyways, um, everyone was like jeering at Noah and saying that his God was a sham, but he, he followed through. And now history remembers him as the person who preserved the human race because he alone in all the entire earth was righteous. And as a result of that righteousness, we're sitting in this room today. So... We need to be able to demonstrate to the people that we love that it's possible to be called by God because you're sitting in this room, you have made a declaration to everyone in your life, whether it's you're married, you have children, or in the people that you serve, the people that you work with in your vocational jobs, you're communicating, I am called of God. So now you have a responsibility to live up to that call. Even if the call isn't a very high-paid fancy position. So... I need to chase my calling, and it's not enough to just provide. I have to live out my passion, so my daughter will too. I was growing up, my dad taught karate. He was, oh gosh, he's a black hall of fame. My dad's tough. Mm -hmm. I remember growing up seeing him like sparring and fighting. He used to like fight and win competitions for extra money for us and stuff like that. Like one time, my dad, he's, he's taller than who is it? Shoot. But he's like, <laughs> he's like six inches. Well, not six inches, maybe like five inches taller than me. He's fighting this really big tall dude. My dad just ran up the guy's leg, just popped, popped him in the head, won the match. It was, it was amazing. Um, but my dad ended up, uh, he had to like give up on the studio because like Bill's caught up with us, like it just wasn't working out. So he ended up working like a retail, like furniture rental job for about 15, 20 years now. But I've seen him, and not, my dad, I love my dad so much, but he's just so tired all the time. And, and I just, like, sometimes there's a part of me that wishes that he had not given up on his passion, and that he had, um, we would have made sacrifices, like lived in a one-bedroom apartment or something. Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I don't remember that nice house in Poland that I grew up in. I'm going to remember, like, the passion, the dreams, because those are the things we carry with us, right? So, this is where everything started to change for me. Um, I had a really weird dream. How many of you guys ever feel like God was speaking to you through a dream? Anybody? 
you remember every little detail, the colors, everything, just etched in your brain? Wasn't that like taquito you had? It was the Lord? Um, I had one of those, and how many of you guys remember that toy stretch Armstrong? That you know, stretch? Arms that stretch all the way. He was like this little wrestler toy. He yanked his arms all the way out. He went out like 12 feet or something like that. And it's had this dream that my arms just get billowing out and reaching like really far. It's a really, really freaky dream. And it's like billowing out. It's like going so much further. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And he said like, I'm going to give you reach that extends beyond your current ability. And I'm going to give you reach with Buddhism and divine structures that are going to be able to facilitate what I want to do through your life. So I'm not. So basically, the Lord gave me a download for an entire structure of how to do our youth ministry, how to do our worship ministry, and everything that I could do within the hours that I have, so that I can be healthy and I can be happy. And the big thing He's shown me is this isn't training ground for the rest of my life. This is so that I can learn, and each one of us here today can learn how to maximize the time that we have. Because if you're promoted into full-time ministry one day, it's not like you're going to have those extra 30 hours to do what you're doing now. You're going to have an extra 30 hours of more work that's more overwhelming and more on top of all that. So when you're in part-time vocational ministry, if full-time's even the call, it's always going to be full-time for me because like, whether I'm paid or not, you are going to be responsible for learning how to be a steward of your time. I don't want to say time management on my bullet points because it's just so cliche. I'm so bad at it. I'm so glad my wife's there to help me with time management. Um, but anyway, so I have three strategies for this. And uh, my first strategy for building a divine structure within your youth ministry or your ministry is it's more like a characteristic, a principle, like a way of doing things. It's called leading from behind. Do you know that if there's a leader who's running up forward in front of everyone, Leading and just not like pushing anybody else to the front or empowering other people, you duplicate who you are and the people who serve you. So you have people who are going to do the same thing as that leader who is just running forward and not promoting anyone and not empowering anybody. You're going to have everybody else start doing the same thing. And that's not how you build a successful ministry, right? You need to have a, a ministry that builds on itself, that disciples become disciples, right? So, leading from behind and team empowerment. And then the second point, I'm going to go into more detail with these, is leading with an open hand. God gives you a call. Close your fist over it. You can only hold as much as your fist can carry. But if you open your hand and allow God to take whatever you have, he multiplies it. It's like that. It's like um, the little boy that's launched the loaves and the fish, right? He had held on to that. He would have had enough to feed himself, right? But when he gave it up to Jesus... And then the third principle is strategic and intentional investment. This is what I'm going to go into most detail with. It's investing in your key leaders, in your key student leaders, and not always spending the most time with the squeakiest wheel. Sorry, I can't believe it. Alright, so just give you a little background on my youth ministry. Um, I'm not going to stand up here and say, I have 200 in my youth ministry. I do the 10 hours. Truth is, when I took over at our youth ministry, we went downstairs in the library, and I had four kids in my youth ministry. I went from being with Pastor Daniel Ortiz with 200 to four in a week. No, not really a budget, no room, nothing. Um, over the past couple of years, we did manage to youth group with like 20 or 30 kids, but then our core group of kids that we had like really invested in were also kids who had a lot of upheaval happened in their life. And so um, one of our kids thought it'd be funny why the church on fire in the group. Smoked out all the children in the basement. And when I tried to, because um, we had a rap sheet for this kid, because you got to keep rap sheets in there, right? Accountability. When we went to the parents, the parents said, you're picking on my kid and we're pulling them from the youth group. And when they pulled that kid who was a key leader and we lost all of our key leaders, and the youth group went from 30 to 5 in one week. I was living in Lakewood, and I had $2 in my bank account, five kids in my youth group, and the church had just been, like, smoked out in the basement. I felt they quit. I just lay there on the floor in my apartment, and no one knows the story. It's kind of sad, but I just lay there on my floor, and I didn't cry. I didn't wait, but I just thought, what am I going to do? 
I thought about going in, just resigning and quitting, because I thought, like, what kind of youth pastor loses a youth like that? And so, I didn't feel like the Lord released me when I called my uh, father-in-law, was my father-in-law then. He said, these things happen, and you need to stay the course, because you're called to be here. And so I did. And we worked. And for a couple of years, we managed to like get some momentum back up to like 15, 20 kids. But then, um, they wanted to see do an experiment where they hire another youth pastor and send us to separate campuses to see if that strikes a group. So what ended up happening was, the kids, most of the kids, came to my youth group, and the ones who were too far away quit coming all together. And so after a year, the one that I had left only had two students, or zero, every Wednesday, and we only had 10 to 15. So instead of multiplying youth ministries, they actually weakened. So last year, they, the, the guy who was running the other youth ministry, he had another opportunity, sat down, and they recombined youth groups, and I had to restart youth ministry all over again. And so this time, this is my Stretch Armstrong season. I had some strategy. I had some ideas. And you know what? The, I think the biggest thing, and this just ties into staying planted, is that the leaders who served me in my youth ministry have served with me for six years now. Each one of them, I have personally mentored home, raised up. They have my heart. They understand how I want to do things. They understand where I'm coming from. So therefore, I can trust them to lead. I can trust them because I know that they're, they honor me, they, they know my heart where I'm coming from, and everything that they do is not going to be something to try to push me out of the way, but to strengthen and empower what we've created together. Some of my key leaders now, two of them, one of them was 12 when he showed up with my ministry. He's 18 now. I taught him how to play bass. He plays every Sunday for the past six years with me. Is that not right? I don't know. My kids, their age is just blurred when they've been with me that long. Then one of them also uh, became a YWAM minister for a little bit and came back and now is um, playing with me on the worship team. So they also help me with youth ministry. So I have about a team of like six inner circle who help me run the youth ministry. And then I have another outer circle of about another 15 people who are in- invested. Yeah, go ahead. Your six inner circle, is that all youth? Three. Or came from your, so half? Yeah, half of them. So who are the other half? The other half are, um, I'll actually introduce each one of them to you. I mean, just people in the church? It's interesting, sorry. First one is Jeff. No, no, it's fine. Jeff Jeff is my main guy. He's pretty much my assistant director, and he was a sound tech on Sunday mornings. Um, He comes from a family of ten brothers and sisters. And um, I just felt like he was supposed to serve with me. He bought me tooth and nail for six months before he finally showed up. And uh, hasn't left since. I think he's actually missed less Wednesdays than I have. And um, so I brought on Jeff, and then Jeff recently got married. Um, his wife comes from California, and she was just finished planning a ministry school in Burma. So she, crazy admin off the chart, amazing. And then, so basically that's my inner circle six. I'm going to just break down to you everything that's going on in our youth ministry right now, just, and hopefully it'll just strike support and gives you some ideas on, like, on what to do and how, what to empower. It, it's pretty much all kind of just basic stuff. But the thing I've been learning is, with God, the biggest revelation that I get is profoundly simple in its application. It's not so deep that you drown in it. It's, it's wisdom. Am I think? Yeah? So, right now, we started with five. We have 40 kids in our youth ministry right now. I'm not putting in more than 10 hours a week to do it. And I do it this way. This is everything that's happening in our youth ministry. So Jeff... My main guy, he helps facilitate the services on the technical side because he's also an IT director for a really successful company in Cleveland, so he helps with all of that during the service. But Jeff is also recently just stepped out. He created a four-week curriculum called Vitals that we're doing every six months now, and it is an introductory course to Jesus and to Christianity. So the kids bring their friends, we serve them dinner, and over the course of four weeks we explain who God is, who Jesus is, and we lead them to the Lord at the end of the process. Immensely successful. You think that just like, I mean, all you have to say is free food, and that's going to get you some numbers. But the fact that the kids are sitting around the table and asking questions about God and genuinely engaged is amazing to me. And during that whole process, it also it, it links them together and creates community. How many of you guys have ever fought clicks in your ministry? Hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> every time, right? So this destroys clicks. And it creates a bond of unity within the group. It's amazing. So Jeff's doing a fantastic job with that. He's in the process of creating about like three other structures of things that we can do throughout the year to encourage community and to bring actual like, discipleship and foundation. One of the things about Bethel is we're heavy 
Um, we're heavy experience-based, and we want people when they hear the worship to experience and encounter God, right? So Jeff, his heart is on the other side of that, where he wants to experience God and feel the presence of God, but he, he's all about foundation, structure, and discipleship. And so I'm empowering him in that gifting, because it's something that we need. You know, it's not enough if the kids respond to a salvation call, if there's nothing that they can run to after. Right? It's not enough that you can preach so good and bring the anointing and the conviction of the Holy Ghost and have them come forward and, and surrender their lives, but then have no idea how to do it for the rest of it after that. Right? So that's huge. And then his wife, Jackie, she created a structure of discipleship where we have all of our student and adult leaders and other people that we brought on from the church who are discipling, mentoring three to four kids. They meet with them monthly and they hand with them weekly. And, and for me, I just touched base with Jeff, and she handles all of that. Wow. Jeff handles all of that for you. I just facilitate that. Leading from behind. Because you know what? I wouldn't have thought Bibles would work in our, in our circle. I, I wouldn't think it worked with the dynamic of kids that we had. <coughs> I thought it would be a big, flopping failure. But because I trusted Jeff, and I lead from behind, it gave him the opportunity. When you lead from behind, it gives you the ability to enable things to happen in your youth ministry that are outside of your own mind and ideas and, and your fists. Open hand instead of fists. Open your hand while other people, those ideas bring explosive growth to your youth ministry. Side note, has to be a people you trust. You can't just empower somebody to have that much power over your youth ministry if you don't trust them implicitly. You can only have that kind of trust by seeing them in and out. Many seasons of life, different circumstances, different difficulties, right? So, and then the other major avenue and outlet, other than discipleship and vitals, and this is huge. Who has an Instagram account here? If you're working with youth, you need one. No one over 25 is on Facebook. I don't have one. I'm just going to put it out there. It's tricky. Nobody, my kids don't even have Facebook. Instagram is where every single one of them are, where they used to post and like photos on Facebook and stop, and they're on Instagram. So Instagram is the master of connecting with kids outside of my 10 hours. It's just like, it builds on itself. So we created a youth Instagram page, and I have a team of people who help me, who I write like two of the like, devotionals, and I have other people writing devotionals, they're all submitting them, and we post three devotionals a week, every other day, in the morning at 7 a.m. So the kids, when they open their Instagram, which they do every morning when they wake up, they see your devotional. They have your voice in their life before they walk through the school doors. That's a powerful thing. Social media, I know that like it has so many problems and we have so many like issues that result out of it, but it is one of the most effective tools in youth ministry today. We post all of our ads. I don't even print flyers. We don't do cards anymore. Everything is social media promotion. Everyone hashtag everything. <laughs> Um, and that's also how you connect. Honestly, when I get on my, my 10, I get a like, 10-minute break at 7, um, I go on Instagram and I like every single one of my kids' photos. And I comment. I may not be able to meet with them one-on-one -on -one all the time, but my voice can be in their life every day. And for kids, by the way, social media, for some reason, it's such a big deal to them. So if you like their photo, they'll go to <laughs> and then the other thing um, is um, Ashley, my wife back there, she is an amazing graphic designer. Kind of a surprise passion that she had. So she creates all the graphic design for the youth ministry. She manages the page pretty much for me. It's amazing. Just not good. Like, you're trying to have work-life separation. Like, hey, Ashley, we put together that ad. And she just got home from work doing all the uh, graphic design for the church. She's like, Okay, um... Ashley's also in the process of creating a website where we're going to have um, a blog that I'm going to post weekly. And, um, it's, but the website's more for the parents because we're going to have like permission slips that you can print from there too because like how many of you guys like have events you need to have permission slips so your kids take them, they lose them, they have airplanes, it's just disastrous, it's just a big fiasco. Then you end up calling for verbal consent from their parents but you don't know it's really their parents. It's like God that no one like loses an eye or just like breaks the ceiling tile. Oh, Oh gosh, my last login, one of my kids thought it'd be a good idea without telling me, bring in the smoke machine and turn it on, which set off the fire alarms, which brought the fire trucks. Oh my gosh. Then they thought it'd be fun to break the ceiling tile and throw a jelly ball at the wall, the projector, and it exploded all over. So, sorry, just real life. Okay. But, um, 
the website is going to be for parents more because where do parents go to check it out? They check out Facebook and they check out your website. So we create a Facebook page with a link on the website to get the parents' trust because one of our biggest avenues is we don't want to reach out to the world and not reach the kids who are right in front of us in the church, right? So, and by the way, this leading from behind technique, it is contagious. You will start to see it modeled in the people that you're leading because they will start promoting and pushing other people forward. Um, I, I'm going to be done in just one second open up for questions, I promise. Um, another like ministry I totally forgot, my favorite one to talk to you about, is we have something called Next Gen Leaders. I have kids who I've known and mentored for years now who are preaching with us. You'd think that like everyone would come out because I'm a reasonably good communicator, right? I mean, we all are. But I put one 13-year-old kid who I've mentored for a couple years just because like they were connected to family or something. I put them in the pulpit and you have 15 extra kids because they brought kids in my end. We've got that going on. Then we also have a video team. We're doing video announcements and Instagram video ad announcements. You can, there's an app on your phone that you can create video announcements with really, really quickly. I don't have it yet because somebody else is running for me. Email me for that. Um, obviously, we have a worship team, and then also the other thing, and this is just the end of all the strategizing for like the youth. And I, I hope like this wasn't just too many bullet points, but I felt like the biggest struggle we had was I didn't feel like we had enough prayer cover. I come from a church where prayer was like each service, each thing we did was saturated in prayer. And because all my leaders are volunteer, and I'm also a volunteer, we don't have an hour before service to be able to pray just solely for the service. So it was like, Lord, okay, what kind of structure can I build to make sure that we have prayer covering? So I put together a team of parents, adults, friends who preach at the youth ministry. By the way, I have like about eight friends who are in itinerant ministry who come in at least once a month. Um, and I put them on a prayer list, and I send weekly updates, and they don't pray for it. So, and even just like with worship and community events, I have like an assistant who helps me schedule all of our community events, because we have about 20, 30 people on my team right now, and it's really hard to connect with everybody. So we've got that going on, too. Um... And then just really, really quickly just to touch on vocational ministry, because I know that we're all here because we want to care about strategies for youth ministry and for like actual ministry, right? But start, my job at Starbucks to me is, is much ministry as my ministry position is. So the only principle I want to leave with you there is uh, you create the culture you carry in yourself and the atmosphere around you. <clears throat> so when you go into the vocational environment, it's not like the pastor hat gets to come off. You're still a pastor. I pastor the people who work for me. And they know where I stand in my beliefs. They ask me questions. They ask for prayer when they're going through a hard time. It is the most amazing mission ground. I'll tell you what. When I took this position two years ago at the specific store that, it was a disaster. Everyone was backbiting, caddy, and all that. Two years later, we have the most united, wonderful team. And it is because, I'm not, I don't want to sound arrogant, it's because I'm there. It's the kingdom of God like, is there. I have... I carry the Lord inside of my heart, and He recreate, you recreate what's inside of you, around you. And so it created a structure of wisdom, integrity, character, and we started attracting other Christians who work there. There's like four Christians who work there, God, with me. They all share the same core beliefs. So you recreate the culture that you carry inside of yourself. So, and then just one last word before I open up for questions, I know they're running out of time. But divine um, structure, it's self-sustaining. So if you think about God, every structure that he's ever created, it, it's self-sustaining, and it builds on top of itself. You can go anywhere from uh, the, all of creation to the ecosystem, the way it functions, the human body, the way that we even have, can have kids. It's self-sustaining, recreating. I know that like, God would not exist apart from the word of God, but I don't think he's got his thumb on it like this the whole time to make sure that it keeps working. He created it to self-sustain and be able to work, right? He used divine wisdom. It's, it's, the, the word says, by wisdom, he found it here, right? So, our ministry structures should be the same. They should be a self-sustaining structure that empowers the leaders, but doesn't overwhelm them, make them feel sucked dry of all the life inside of them, and creates a structure that builds on itself. So we have discipleship teams. We're turning our disciplers, disciples into disciples, and they and they disciple their friends. That's that's the end goal. We have like people who are meeting with their kids, but then eventually. After the kids have been discipled for about six months to a year, we want them to start their own discipleship groups and So, and the last point of everything all together, the most important thing I'm going to say to you today, of everything that I said, is that your health, emotionally, mentally, physically, is priority. 
I know that sounds selfish, but you can't help people if you're in a bad headspace. If you're discouraged, and if you can't like serve effectively, if your passion is drained out of you, there's no way you're going to be able to carry it through. You can sit there and say, oh God, I hope that you're able to carry out what you called me to do, but, but you're operating at 20% because the other 80 is discouraged, angry, and mad, and resentful, or whatever. So you have to be healthy, and the way that you remain healthy, no matter what you're doing, is that you have your eyes fixed on your ultimate destiny, not a temporary position. I know we all hope to be in ministry for the rest of our lives, but our lives are temporary. The position you're holding right now is temporary. So I, my destiny, I am not destined to be a youth pastor. I'm not destined to be a worship leader. I'm not destined to be in anything. I, that's a chapter in the story of my life. It's leading me to my ultimate destiny, which is the point of Jesus. Yeah. And so when I worship and when I, when I engage with the Lord, that's my destiny. Everything else I do, that's all peripheral. Everything else that I do, it's not the center for. My destiny is and will always be Him. So I can't allow my self-worth, my self-value, my effectiveness, or my significance to be attached to the call. Open-handed, I take the call because I love Him, not because I need it to feel validated. Not because I need my life to feel significant, but because I know that my life is already significant. Because of who I am connected to in a relationship with. Jesus and I'm going to open up for questions, but I just want to say, um, from one battlefield worker to get to the trench of the It's okay if we do this real quick. I don't, can you all just close your eyes for just a moment? I know that this is cheesy, maybe. I don't know how you guys do drunk or cold now. But I just wanted to be able to, like, I had a specific, like, word. I felt like the word spoke to me. Is there anybody sitting in the room in the past six months of seriously considered playing? And if that's you, can you, you just put up your, you don't have to put it up high. I just want to be able to, like, pray for you and encourage you just real quick. Up and down. Okay. You open your eyes. There are lives that are depending on you not to quit. There are lives that are depending on you to be faithful, to see through the calling that God has put on you. You can't quit. Because if you do, you, you love your kids the way that you do, but I know that we'd like to think that they'd just be able to put somebody into that position, but, but you're called. God put you there for a reason. And so the fact that your heart is sown into it means that you have to see it through. My, my old senior leader at Victory used to say that without God, we cannot, but without us, he will not. You know, he wants to partner with us, right? He wants to use us to do it. So I saw just a few hands with um, thinking about quitting over the last six months. I just want to encourage you. You don't know the ripple effect of the people that you're touching. Some of the kids that I have mentored wouldn't be with Jesus right now if I wasn't there. Because they stopped going to youth group when I left and came back when I came back. Each one of you sitting here today, you're amazing. God sees you clothed in his power and righteousness. And each one of you has such significance to the kingdom. But it's like Paul, I think Paul says, don't grow weary in your well-doing. Because there, there is light at the end of the tunnel at this. And it might not be what you think it is, because let's be real, the kingdom, whatever it is. Half the stuff that happens in my life isn't how I expected it. But you know what? God has been all over every step of the way. And you need to, re- to be reminded by him of why you said yes to this in the first place. And it wasn't to achieve or get something else to give something. Thank you. Sorry, real quick. I just want to pray. Can I just close your eyes and pray? God, just come before you right now. I thank you for each person, Lord. I pray that you would encourage those people who raise their hands about quitting. God, I pray that you would light the fire back in their heart, God. You're the one who put it there. And so you're the one who can sustain it, God. I pray that any situation or circumstance that's caused them to become discouraged or to not think that they the way that they normally do or to act outside of themselves, God, I pray that you would remind them at the core who they are in you and who they are in this kingdom and that they would embrace the calling and continue forward knowing that there are literal lives that are depending on them to be faithful. There might be a, there might be a, I don't know, like a Benny Hen or, or just 
some crazy, like Reinhard Bonnke, somebody who's going to lead millions to the Lord in your youth group, and, and you're going to be responsible for discipling them. And Lord, we just want to stand before you one day and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So God, I pray that each person sitting here would be encouraged, uplifted, and reminded that the thing that they do, the call that's on their life, is the greatest thing we'll ever steward and foster on this planet. And we're so thankful to be part of what you're doing here. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, hey, any questions? I know that I have like three minutes. I didn't mean to like give you no time for questions. Um, as someone who is actually on the opposite side of this for 19 years, uh, full time, and lost it, uh, and was out of ministry for a year, it wasn't a moral thing. It was yeah. a set of circumstances I won't get into. And now, being forced into a place of being bivocational. I'm very thankful for my church family because the, my present one, they, they picked us up when we were broken and brought healing to me and my family. It is very easy to take for granted what you have. Um, it is very easy to see your budget and your income and your pay stub and your office and your staff retreats and your events that are fully paid for and your lunches and just name it and to forget that you don't deserve that. For this is the kingdom of God. Now, you can look at all the earthly things. You have the degree, you have the years of experience. Yeah, okay, advancement, that's normal in the world. But this is the kingdom of God. you got to look at it different. And so it's so easy to, to lose perspective and to take that totally for granted and forget that when you are now forced to make less than a third of what you're making doing the hardest work you've ever done in your 40s, breaking your back on a concrete floor just so you can possibly make sandwiches for your kids' lunch. Right. That you have, I had forgotten to be grateful for what God had actually provided for me for years. And... <coughs> Um, on the opposite side of that, I think those who are in those positions need to be very, very careful to always stay humble and to say, I could lose this tomorrow. But if I lose this tomorrow, will I still do what I'm called to do? Because my calling, I'm that whether I'm at a factory or full-time in an office in a church. That's what's hard. And now that I'm in the place... Where I'm, I'm one of those where you, you see people 20 years your junior roll, roll around with these full time positions and, and packages and healthcare and health coverage and all that, you know, and you look at it and say, something is very backwards and wrong here about the this picture. Okay? I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm fighting to put food on my table. Um, and, and I don't say that to complain, I say that as a fact of reality. But when I was in it, when I had it, I took it for granted. And I, I took a couple items from my factory when I was done last fall, and I asked my supervisor if I could have them. I said, I'm, I'm going to keep these with me and keep them in view of me, of my eyes. And I told my unsaved supervisor, I said, I will never lose perspective again. When I am back into a place of full-time in ministry in a church, I'm going to always have that in my sight because I remember how easy it is to lose that. It's out of your control. And so being in a part-time thing, I, I agree with everything you have said today, because it's so easy to lose perspective and get your eyes on the physical when this is the kingdom of God and what we're called to do. And I think it's easier when you're tired all the time. When your body's just busy. Darn straight. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Darn straight. And especially when it feels like there's no um, end in sight. Our lives are usually defined by seasons, right? So like when you feel like there's no rescuing truth come at the end, it's easy to get discouraged and forget. I suffer from spiritual amnesia sometimes. We forget what God's done, you know, and it's thankful. Thank you for that. I've been in full-time ministry. I was in the youth ministry. I worked for a church full-time, and uh, I loved it. loved the kids. But uh, when I left that situation, I vowed to never do full-time ministry ever again because I'm not an employee of the church. I'm a follower of Christ. And... Uh, Church is one of the hardest places. That's all I'm going to say about that. But my, my, I'm thankful for my part-time youth ministry, and and it's hard sometimes, and, and it's hard to have to you know work a full-time job. But uh, I answer to Christ alone. 
when it comes to my ministry. Well, my pastor, you know, but, but I don't have a board that is, is uh, uh, talking me, or a, a membership of the church that's talking me down because I'm not a babysitter for their kids. This is about ministry, and, and it gave me a whole different perspective. So all the ones that are, that are wanting full-time ministry, you just... We just need to make sure we want the will of God, whatever that is. <laughs> and just to piggyback off that, you know, I made full-time ministry so much of a goal of mine that, like, Ashley, my wife was saying, she said, you need to find a way to enjoy the season that you're in because our daughter's growing up, and you're going to miss it. If you're miserable, you're upset. So I've come to the place where I don't need full-time ministry. And I'm actually in that spot. I don't need it. I mean, I would love to have it. I would love, I don't think I can work like this forever, but I'm confident that whatever the job, Ministry or not, God is improvised, and I will always be serving in ministry whether I need to do it or not. Yeah? Any last questions? Then you guys got to get your next session. 145. Anybody else? I would just comment that on the social media side of things, yeah. I work community mental health. Yeah. And it is one of our biggest obstacles right now. Right. And so I love that you're hitting on the fact that we need to use it as an avenue yeah. for positives because right now there's a trend to send cuts. Yeah. To each other to encourage fight. Yeah. So to use it as a positive avenue to get in their life on a daily basis, because they're going to use it whether we want them to or not. Yeah. And we have an opportunity there because, I mean, that's one of the. We're facing it constantly where it's a negative tool that they're using to encourage others to cut them or whatnot. So. Um, to use it in a positive way, even though it takes a little bit of time or effort sometimes, it's a huge tool that we can use. I'm only on it for the two months where they were two years ago. It's like, you don't have one? Get one! <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else got any questions? Or statements? Comments? Also, Twitter. You guys don't have Twitter. Oh, it's I can't work that. Like, oh. if you, and, if you, and if you don't know how to use it, ask someone in their 20s. Or yeah. early 20s. <laughs> we know. <laughs> um, any others? Are we good? Hey, guys, thank you so much for letting me come here and talk to you today. <laughs>